Welcome to GW Integrative Medicine, the podcast about disease prevention and health promotion from the Office of Integrative Medicine and Health at the George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences. I'm Dr. Misha Kogan, Associate Professor of Medicine here at GW and Medical Director of the GW Center for Integrative Medicine. And I'm Janet Rodriguez, the Office's Administrative Director. Today, we're talking with Mariana Schimmelfarb, MD, who specializes in integrative family medicine. She practices patient-centered care and uses her knowledge of evidence-based complementary medicine treatments in combination with her training as an allopathic physician. Dr. Schimmelfarb is an assistant professor of family medicine at Hackensack Meridian School of Medicine. And Mariana has been my personal friend for decades. We go back to early medical school years uh, when we did some work together on preventing student and physician burnout. Welcome to GW Integrative Medicine, Mariana. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. We're glad you came. So out of the blue, I get an email from Misha about doing a podcast on taking care of simple medical issues at home. And so am I right, Misha, or did I, did I read it wrong? Well, no, no, of course you're right, uh, except that, uh, as, as life has it, uh, Mariana and I were sitting at this uh, Russian music festival some weeks ago, and, uh, you know, usually when we get together, we start talking about things that our families don't necessarily want to hear, and we're like, well, you know, <laughs> this and that, and, and, you know, we have this problem, we have that problem. And next thing we're like, wait a second, but wouldn't it be so nice to just kind of talk on the air about all this? And just so that finally our listeners can actually have a sense of, well, what do the docs talk when they're, you know, processing things between themselves? And what are some of the things that uh, we wouldn't dare to necessarily sp speak in front of our family? So that's how the whole idea came up. Um, and then we started talking a little bit more, like, what do we actually want to cover? And I mean, of course, the topic of how do we take care of our own families, that's a big one. And I think that's a, one we'll kind of start with. But there are some other things that I think if we get to that, then we'll cover too. So, yeah, Mariana, you know, you and I go back to, is it 2003? Something like that. Something like that, 2002 or 2003. Yeah, when mm -hmm. we were medical students, we had no idea what the hell we're going to do. We were like you know, drifting through the medical school. I'm, I'm not afraid of saying this, hating half of it, if not 75%, kind of thinking, ah, only if we can get through all this nightmare and we don't, <laughs> we don't like what we're learning and, you know, we're all this holistically oriented, both of us, and, you know, we want to do something like that. And, you know, now we're doing it. Uh, but we're still kind of complaining. So, um, <laughs> anyway, uh, well, you know, um, we're practicing in different states. Our families are, have kids and dogs. Um, turns out now we have a exact same amount of kids and dogs as I learned just a few minutes ago. Um, you know, and stuff comes up all the time. So let's talk about that first, shall we? Um, let's do this first. Think of a one most recent thing that came up in the home that you're like, oh, my God, I'm a doctor. I really don't want to deal with this, but I don't want to send the kids to the, you know, the doctor. I'm going to have to take care of it. Go. Oh, my God. There's so many examples. I don't even know which one to bring in. <laughs> Can I start with the dog? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, um, 
I, I think very timely we we're recording this just before Halloween. And, you know, Halloween is a fun holiday for kids, but I'm thinking also it's a time when a lot of people can go in disguise and pretend of what they want to be and and look as if they were something that they're not and create a myth. And so I'm, I'm hoping with today's recording, we'll dispel a little bit of a myth that doctors have created around themselves. We, um, all the years in training and then after we pretend to be um, to wear this ammunition and, and being impenetrable. We have this belief that nothing is going to happen to us and we'll live forever. <laughs> and when it comes to the family, I think we kind of apply the same principle. Oh, you're bleeding from the head. You know, you'll be fine. And uh, you're covered in allergies. You can just go to school. And and with time, I think you learn that that principle is just... Um, doesn't work and you need to pay attention to your home problems um, as carefully as you do with your patients. So I think that's where the challenge lies. But I think one of the recent examples was that my, um, my daughter, uh, my younger daughter, she, she fell and she split her chin. And usually, and this was while we travel, and usually when this kind of things happen, I, I kind of take a look and I say, okay, the bleeding has stopped and um, you don't need to suture the laceration. Let's go on, put a Band-Aid on. <laughs> so she then went to school and she fell on that chin twice more and she lacerated it or she broke it at this, the skin at the, same, at the same place. And I had the same attitude. Um, okay, we don't need to suture it, moving on. Um, so what happened a few months later is I noticed she has, uh, she has quite a scar in her chin. So I went back to her pediatrician. I said, Larry, should have I taken her to the doctor when this happened? He's like, mm, I see he was trying to not make me feel bad. He said, yeah, well, a lot of children have a chin on, have a scar on their chin, so she'll be fine. But it's just, um, it's just one of those situations where, you know, Somebody who is not a doctor definitely would have taken the kid to be evaluated and maybe have prevented a scar in a little girl's chin where, you know, we just don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I have exactly the same story. Seva was three, fell, and it was, a, of course, it was Peter's birthday. So he's falling, cracking his forehead open pretty deeply. And this is why we're like, expecting 12 kids here with for the peter's birthday and i'm like i'm not taking him to emergency room so we literally and so sarah's running around screaming bloody mary bleeding all over so we finally caught up caught him tied him to the bed and i sutured it uh, after giving him local anesthesia so he, this one at least five minutes later he's up and running again now tracing the kids that are there for the party for peter as if nothing happened by the way so you and, really had to chase the boy around the house yeah, yeah, because you know he wouldn't. I mean, he wouldn't. He wouldn't like. He he's like he fell down, screamed for a little bit, then started running again as if nothing happened. While the blood is dripping down his face, so you know we had to do something. I think I'm guessing that a lot of the docs who have kids have something like this that we're sort of like well take care of it ourselves and then realizing later, oops. So that actually after that, since I have not done any suturing, I would take them over just because I was like, I'm not sure if I qualify 
Uh, it happened like multiple times since. And and frankly, here's the sad story, sad part. Uh, the way I sutured it, <laughs> it doesn't look any worse than what happened subsequently when he had two more cuts that had to be sutured. And everything has about the same mark, whether I sutured it or somebody else had. But, you know, it's not a good excuse. And the reality is you're absolutely right. I mean, we don't often, we kind of let situation potentially unravel a little too far so that's one uh particular topic um well, actually, but you know yeah yeah sorry. go yeah to to no to add on that um actually the most recent situation i just remembered was that we were riding bikes this was just maybe three weeks ago and um, on this beautiful path, and it was a beautiful day, and we all thought, this is just going to be a great, great day. I, I was on call that day as well. It was a Saturday. It's going to be a great afternoon. And just 10 minutes into the bike ride, and again, my younger daughter, who is seven, she was riding, sitting on the back of my bike, which he, she has done uh, before. Uh, she, I just hear her, Wah! and I turn around, and her foot is just embedded in the, in the back wheel. And it's twisted. I mean, I cannot describe you. So we stopped the bike and her foot was totally twisted. It was purple and blue. And, and I thought she surely severed a ligament. I mean, it was, it was terrible. And it was, you know, we stopped the bikes. My husband brought the car. We brought her to the car. And, I, and it was, I think, 4.30 p.m. on Saturday. And I looked up pediatric urgent care that belongs to our organization where I work and they were closing at five. And then I called PM pediatric and they said, the next appointment is at 9 PM. And I just stood there and I look at her twisted food and, and purple. And, you know, she was in moderate amount of pain. And, and I was like, Oh, Oh, I will never go to ER unless, you know, unless they really have to, I was like, Oh, to wait till nine o'clock. And then I told myself, Wait, you're on call. Somebody called you with a kid with a twisted foot and a bike accident. You would have told them exactly what to do. So just do that. I commanded myself. <laughs> we went, oh, and then she also <laughs> exactly did that. I did that. I had to talk with myself. Oh, yeah. She also really badly scraped her skin. Like it was like second degree burn. It was, it was terrible. I told myself, you're on call. Just do what you would tell others to do. So I took her home. I put, you know, slathered some silver silvers in and put arnica cream and I put band-aid and I gave her Tylenol and I ace wrapped it and I iced it and I elevated. She was happy as ever. She thought I was the best, the coolest mom on earth, really. And um, so that was Saturday and she was feeling better, but then she couldn't put weight on her food. And then Sunday came. And then on Monday, I actually, um, I went to work and I, I was talking to myself all day long until I talked myself into actually get taking her to the, to our pediatric urgent care, because I, I kind of, I'm learning that I cannot be a responsible, take rather responsibility for my children's health. I need someone else to help me with that. So I took her after work. I went at 6 PM. It sucked to pediatric urgent care. Um, and they were amazing. I did x-ray and they did exactly after that, when they ruled out fracture, they did exactly what I did. But then I felt better. Good. All right. Well, you were talking about how we would go to emergency room <laughs> through our dead bodies, literally. Yeah. Um, let's talk about that a little bit because that kind of um, pushed me to think uh, one of the things we wanted to talk about 
um, is, you know, we know the system from inside out. I mean, we know what it can do. We know what it cannot do. And unfortunately, we know a lot of, um, I don't want to say scary things, but we know things that so we use the word iatrogenic, uh, which means that the, the system itself can cause a lot of problems to our own health. And, you know, we in some way as a providers, as physicians, pretty scared of that. Um, you know, I was uh, recently diagnosed with acute Lyme disease and I ended up going finally to, to like a cardiology and then, you know, taking tests and all that. But, you know, I realized the part of my hesitance to go and deal with this was not just, you know, any kind of shame or symptoms were not strong, severe enough. No, I think part of it was I was just literally scared as to what can transpire, you know, what kind of aggressive interventions or measures can be applied to me that will actually worsen my health, not improve. And, you know, I have, I see this a lot, especially in older adults, but even in the younger people, I think, it's definitely part of our internal, um, you know, I would call this like a, uh, a fear factor. Like we just don't, we're afraid that if we accept some kind of standard care, we will have side effects. And I think, I mean, we probably more tuned into this than some other doctors simply because we know a lot of holistic integrative modalities that are safer. But regardless, what, what would you say, Mariana? How would you reflect to this? I, I think that fear of, of, of losing your own agency and being a subject to somebody else making decisions and not always the decision that you concur with is very deep. And I do agree with you 100% that because we, you and I both practice integrative medicine, our view of... Um, especially aggressive Western medicine approaches is, is somewhat different from mainstream perhaps. Um, so I think that also definitely plays, plays big part in us making decisions about when to engage in, in, in involve in conventional medical settings for ourselves and our, for our families. And, you know, I, I've shared with you, I have a close to me family member who's uh, unfortunately suffering with complicated medical issues. And the most painful experiences that I've had in medicine was being being the family member and uh, and trying to participate in, in their care as a patient's family member rather than the physician. And the pain is because you see the gaps in care and because you wish communications were different, you wish that 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 connection between body and mind and the goals of treatment and the goals of care were kind of intertwined and and when they're not. Um, and they're often not. And they're often just, not. Just, just, just like they're probably, in the complex cases, more often they're not than, than they are. Yeah. And that's the you know, that's a sad part of uh, reality. Yesterday, we had an interest in Grand Rounds on, it wasn't directly COVID-related. It was basically talking about heroism and duty as a physician during pandemic. And towards the end, this interesting conversation emerged that a lot of us are burned out. And I want to kind of go back into that a little bit deeper because you're an expert on that topic. But 
um, you know, it's not just we're burned out and a lot of our physicians leaving profession, but I think a lot of us are simply discontented knowing that the public, our view, the public views the healthcare system often in a very negative content exactly because of that. Because, you know, they're, they're, they're seeing that we're not communicating well. They're seeing that, um, you know, often care is fragmented and, and not whole. And even when we try, you know, the system itself, the line, the, there's so misaligned, the incentives, that it's hard to achieve that. So we know that intimately well, and, and, and it, it sort of, it pains us probably more than a regular, than, than non-provider, because, you know, we know that we could do better, but we, we can't get there. I mean, we're trying, but we really can't get there. And even you and I, even more so, because we know the alternatives. We know that we can take a lot of the, pro- a lot of the problems a lot better. Anyway, sorry, I went on the rant. No, no, here. I mean, this is, this is, this is just a subject in there on its own. We can talk about this, and we do for, for days on end. Right. Um, the, the, you know, big issue is lack of communication and, and again, conjointed process. Because neither you nor I, we, have, we don't have a magic wand. We just really try hard to truly be patient-centered, Right. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 often my focus is on undoing, where the Western medicine principle is doing. Mm-hmm. So, um, so when we don't want to go to ER or doctor's office, or we don't want to take our kids there because we're afraid something is going to be ton- done to them or to us, mm-hmm. and you don't want to be things done to you, right? You want someone to tell you these are your options, or you will, you know. These are the goals, and instead, things are just done. So that's it. All right. So we were going to have fun and entertain our listeners. Now we're like, we're in a gloom and doom. By the way, this is actually what happens when we get together and we start talking because (laughs) guess what? You know, we've known each other for a long time. We're close friends. We we just, that's how we sort of help each other. You know, we kind of. Well, it's it's how you're processing. Exactly. And that's how we process some of this darkness. We'll we'll promise we'll come back to the light in a few minutes. We're not done yet. But there's one other topic that I really wanted to touch. And I know Marianne's very passionate about this one. Um, So, you know, we are um, back in medical school, actually, what we did, both of us, we tried to create pathways for our students to feel somewhat better about the fact that there's just not a lot of holism in medicine. You know, we we participate in this series of... um, Humed retreats, um, and Mariana, you did a lot subsequently to try to help our colleagues. Tell tell the listeners about what you did during the pandemic, because you, you formed this little kind of burnout prevention group. Yeah, I was uh, in, in March of 2020. You know, I I I, I reside and I work in in New Jersey, just 12 miles. Um, in 12-mile proximity to New York City, so everything was close to home, what was happening. And so I had a, I had a, I had a big impulse to do something, and, and I have connected with an um, integrative psychiatrist from Utah and um, a PhD psychologist from this area who specializes in death, dying, and trauma. And we created um, 
once weekly online Sunday um, group for all the physicians um, across the country who were willing, able to attend. And it was, it was just, a, it was a weekly support group. And it was amazing. We ran it for a couple of months. Um, it was very free flowing, but we had, we had some just amazing, amazing uh, conversations at that time, but um, physician burnout and, and wellness has been my longstanding interest. But I went around back to home actually more more on the fun side, some some mm-hmm. home remedies, right? We, just, we, yeah. we can yeah, talk yeah, about sure. that some, right? Yep. Um, all right? all right, So what happens when my kids have cold and, Michelle, feel free to jump in, not when my mm-hmm. kids, when your kids, you know. So when we see when, <laughs> what happens, when, when my kids, are, my girls come and one of them has a sore throat or runny nose or looks febrile, I take out all of my herbs. That's the first thing that I do. I have, uh, I have like, I don't know, 10, 10, 10 little bottles or, or bottles and pills and syrups. Um, you know, some are, my favorites are umka, which is extract of pelargonium, elderberry, and then there's some mixes of different kind. And so, um, and so we just start, we just take it out of, you know, put it on the kitchen counter and I, I mix it up and with small amount of water and, and they take a shot glass. And they're so used to it. I, I'm afraid they're going to grow up thinking that's how the world lives. Everybody takes herbs. or just the herbal world, <laughs> which is maybe not the worst thing. So they take herbs three times a day, probiotics, some, you know, fish oil. And, and usually within 48 hours, they're totally back to normal. Um, I rarely give them Tylenol or ibuprofen, only if they have very high fever and they're uncomfortable or in the instance that I've mentioned earlier, there are bad pain caused by accident, God forbid. So, so that's how we deal with colds. It works each and every time. Um, if they have some, if you know, one of them tends to get sometimes a little too excited and becomes a little too demanding and uh, <laughs> difficult to manage. No, that never happens. <laughs> yeah, uh, I have some herbs for her. I have actually, this. I have chewable, she calls them my gummies. Give me my gummies. Give me my gummies. She's in pajamas <laughs> in the kitchen. I have to give her her gummies. And that, are, that is L-theanine. You know, uh-huh. it's, it's um, I, I, and she gets her two gummies. And, so for and- our listeners, real quick. So L-theanine is an extract from green tea or, or can be made synthetic, but it's a very... Uh, benign but very strong anti-anxiety that doesn't actually put people into slumber so like in in contrast some anti-anxiety pills they can be quite uh, lethargy inducing and theanine is actually focuses so it it drops the anxiety somewhat but it and it helps to focus it's kind of a perfect for a running seven-year-old who's you know give me my gummy and i don't want to do anything and yet mom needs to concentrate on tasks and she needs to concentrate on her homework so that's kind of a perfect remedy there yeah, I, I usually use it. Thank you, Mish. I usually use it at night, and in the morning she wakes up all calm and ready to go. <laughs> all good, all good. I have some for myself too, just FYI. But you know, <laughs> and then in the bath, they've always I've, I've minimized the soap use since they were babies, and I'm not as granola as I'm, as I may sound, actually. You know, but um, but I I don't use 
bubble baths and things like that for a number of reasons. So I they they're also when I when I draw them bath, they're they used to they're like put my oils in. So, where are my oils? <laughs> They're a little, one of them is a little demanding, it sounds like. Right? The one. Uh, I, I, uh, I yeah. confirm. And that's, what, what that's oils what are you using, Mariana? I use eucalyptus and I use some, and then variety, use eucalyptus and lavender most, 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 most commonly. I just use five drops of each. Mm-hmm. It's actually very nice because you just, you know, it's, 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 it's like a nice, puts a very nice aroma in the bathroom and just, yeah, so that's this. Are, this is some little, um, um, little, little home remedies. You know, we just, you know, if if if, if the listeners would like to acquire some, there the lines that are, we use for for the herbal drops are called Gaia, G A I A, Gaia Space Kids, and um, and I'm going to assume that it's organic. Yeah, yep. very reputable herbal company with great naturopaths behind it who formulate great, great combinations to use. Um, and what I like about the herbs, the tinctures, the drops, is that you can titrate them up and down. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the, it's a great company also because it's not just nutraceutical grade. So, I mean, they have, it's a nutraceutical grade, but they, it's retail. So you can find them pretty much anywhere. Right. They're not, they're not like behind the, you know, close counter. I just want to add a couple of things. So, uh, one is we used to use a lot of aromatherapy. Um, like, you know, at, at bedtime, we would put on some kind of a soothing smells for the, like, lavender, for example. Um, but also for concentration. And we have, now that they're in separate bedrooms, like, they, they each had their own um, uh, little, um, well, it's not a nebulizer. It's a aromatherapy producing. Diffuser. Diffuser. Thank you. And, um, you know, it's a little bit less now, but, but we still occasionally use it. And the other one is a topical, you know, I have, so Marianne has two boys. I have two, uh, Marianne have two girls. I have two boys and both of them into sports. So like, you know, bruises, uh, are pretty much daily entertainment in our household. And, um, so I found a couple of things. So, well, of course, Arnica, Marianne already mentioned topically all the time, kind of, we have two types. We have regular Arnica and then I like this product called Traumil, which is a, a little broader, and when the trauma is a little more significant than just a little bruise, sometimes I'd use that. And then we use a lot of topical CBD and even topical THC, depending on what the problem is. So if the problem is more acute, it's a bruise. Sometimes I would actually use one-to-one THC to CBD on both of them because I would want them not to take any oral pain control. I'm just like Marianne, I'm very aggressive at trying not to give them anything for pain. Um, Seva had a dental extraction of a baby tooth yesterday so i had to give him uh Tylenol, i mean motion but uh, other than that um you know we try to avoid any oral peels and i Marianne, you can add more but basically what we're trying to do we're trying to have their system control the systems to the maximum of what it can and not get used to you know pill for every ill kind of logic that's so prevalent in our culture I, I'm also reflecting on the fact that both you and I grew up in Russia. True. That's and true. that's the culture. It's the culture where we were we were brought up to tolerate things, right? It's like, mm-hmm. you don't complain. You don't just carry on. Be strong. Don't cry. <laughs> I think that also, <laughs> it's not just that we only the physicians, but I think our bringing also 
impact how we bring up our children. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. That's that's a good point. All right. Let's talk a little bit about harder topics. So behavioral stuff. Um, yeah. Well, no, no. We're just gonna concentrate on behavioral stuff in our own families. And our behaviors. On our behavior. <laughs> <laughs> Let's All right, bring so, spouses in. They'll they'll talk yeah, about behavior. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank God both of our spouses are. You know, they're kind of used to, and and they both of them can take a little bit of sharing of stuff. Um, but you know, generally, I, I find it what's more challenging is you know when my behavior is not where I want it to be, and I'm like, oh my god, if if this would be a patient in front of me, I'd send them to a psychiatrist. Why am I <laughs> behaving this way? You know, and I think that part, I've always been kind of wondering, I mean, I've always been a little, you know, heal the healer. Uh, but when it comes to behavioral stuff, it's much harder than like bruises, cuts and whatever. I mean, well, we're not psychiatrists, either of us, but but still, like, reflect on that. And, and, you know, I know you've done a lot of reflection on this, um, but I just want listeners to kind of hear your voice and your take on this. Are you, do you want to talk about behavioral stuff as far as the kids or as Whatever. When, when we feel, I think or, it's, or when it's, we feel down, depressed, and hopeless? <laughs> I, let's pair, how about this? Let's spare our listeners that because uh, we our whole plan was to to make it entertaining. I think let's not go back to sad stuff. Let's just stick with 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 more upbeat and let's just stick with kids because they throwing at us stuff every day and you know. <laughs> again, we know medical things and we're constantly questioning: Is this a normal behavior, or is my kid? needs a psychiatrist tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. My younger daughter did not speak in, in her preschool or daycare for a year since she was from the age of, you know, she started when she was two and a half until until she was oh, two years. She was there for, she didn't speak there for one or two years. As in literally, she did not open her mouth there. She um, she spoke at home, two languages, but not there. And then I think at the end of her second year there, when she was four and a half, right, she said, one day she came in and she said, I decided I'll, it's time that I speak to you all. <laughs> <laughs> and now she can shut up, right? Is that the... She can't shut up right now. No. <laughs> can I and ask you a question? Yeah. Um, is she the same way that's very demanding about the oils in her bath? That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is correct. She's the same one. She's, she's yeah. She's she's the same one who um she yeah, there is a number of things one can tell about Aviva. Yeah, but that is that is her. Mm -hmm. That is her. Yeah. Yeah. So so she um yeah, and so you know, if, if we, um, I spoke to, it, it, it was a very, very mindful play oriented, um, still is preschool that I love very much called Playhouse. Um, but I spoke to the school directors and they said, well, it's, it's, it could be normal behavior. And I think I mentioned this to our pediatrician. I may or may not have, because we only go once a year about that. Um, but, um, you know, if, 
in other circumstances, it probably would be called selective mutism, which probably is, and maybe early interventions would have started. But um, in her case, you know, we just we just let it be. Um, she when a year later into that quietness at the daycare, she developed she started to develop some tantrums, and it took me another few months to actually call my friend who is a very good child psychologist and say, listen, do you think all of this is normal? And she said, by far not. She's experiencing anxiety. And I almost died. I still remember I was walking with my dog in the forest. And, uh, or no, no dog, just me. Me, no dog, phantom dog. (laughs) (laughs) A phantom dog. And so... Anyway, that took us to another on another journey, but I've, I've, of of learning about you know young children, young child, and anxiety. And again, um, we did not want to divert to pharmaceuticals or labeling, and and um, and we ended up. It was a it was a fascinating and still is fascinating journey. And I, I think we've passed. We've 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 um, helped her and ourselves carry through. But I've learned so much about being a parent and having a, a child with anxiety. And as a family physician, I see that. I see families. I see, I love my job I, in that regard. I love, I see mommies, daddies. I see newborns and up. And I see lots of lots of grandparents these days. Um, and so I'm incredibly, this whole experience made me incredibly empathetic to any parent who has a child with any kind of, behavioral issue or developmental issue or anything that makes a parent just get more involved in than your usual parenting. And I'd say my emphasis when I when I have my parent patients in the room, my emphasis always is you have to also take care of yourself as a parent. Because my biggest one of the biggest reflections, I think I'm gonna arrive to my point now, my biggest reflection on this whole experience with Aviva was that you have to, in order to help your kid, you have to balance yourself out, especially when you're a mother. You have to, if you're in harmony and you're in balance, your home will be. And if you're not, there's no, there's no hope that it's not going to manifest in one of your children. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, we have a similar story. Our younger younger son has attention deficit and it's actually interesting that we we missed the diagnosis too for a long time and and we ended up thinking it was trauma that he had an accident when we were traveling in spain and we kept attributing everything to that accident and then we finally said let's do a kind of a comprehensive neuropsych eval and yeah that's what the neuropsychologist said you know his trauma is there it's not the worst thing, but he has a pretty bad attention deficit. And um, I think this is a lesson of when we see inside our own families, we see things through a different lens. And it's um, impossible to be completely um, emotionally detached to be able to look at the picture in a, in a clinical eyes and say, okay, this is what this is. Um, so, you know, and I, I kind of wonder the listeners, I mean, it's a self-explanatory thing. That's why we not to treat friends and family. You know, it also reminds me that, uh, we were going to talk, we're running out of time, but we were going to talk about 
when our friends calling us and saying, I have an emergency, help me, help me, you know, it's kind of the same way. Like there's a reason why we should not help people close to us because in reality, it's hard to be impartial and it's hard to be emotionally untangled so that you can actually clinically do the right decisions. It took you uh, like a, you were pushed to extreme to think when the, the foot got stuck in the wheel, you had to say, okay, wait a second, what would I do as a physician on call? Like, but that's not so easy to do. But I don't think we should end on this. I, have a, few, I have a few fun stories. Great. If you want to. Let's do yeah. it. Let's do it. We have a few minutes. <laughs> so um, I have a group of friends here and a lot of, a lot of them are physicians and, um, and so sometimes they go on trips together. And, and one of my favorite stories is a couple of years ago, this group, we didn't, we didn't go, this group went, you know, went kayaking. Um, and, um, I don't know, in, let's just say in Maine and, you know, they, they were kayaking hard and, Adults and kids alike all day long. Then they finally landed in the campsite. They were all very happy and they were, you know, relaxing. And uh, the kids went fishing. And one of the kids, one of the kids just landed a hook in another girl's leg. He just, he missed. Of course. He missed. Yes. And you know how those fish hooks I made is that you can't, you're actually destined to no, not be able to remove, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. So there were, there were at least two surgical or ER specialty physicians on site amongst parents. <laughs> they were not able to remove the hook. So they, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so the kid had to be taken to a, either urgent care or an emergency room in the middle of, you know, nowhere. So that's one. Another, uh, one of my favorite stories, also not mine, but um, also good friends having, you know, went to somebody's house, like a, let's just say birthday party and it's 11 PM and their, and their son just, my friend's son just runs into this beautiful glass table and breaks his forehead. So the, the host of the house is of surgical specialty, just takes the kid. They go. They go around to his, you know, to his office in the same house. And my friend, the mom, holds her son, and he just sutures her like at midnight. Not her. Sorry, the kid. The kid. <laughs> the kid. Yeah. You know. Just... <laughs> yep. Yep. Just like that. Yeah. And the third one is my daughter Bacheva, who says. Whenever we just, you know, if, if she ever has to take antibiotics, I'm like, which one are you allergic to? And she says, I can't remember. She says, mom, that one that, <laughs> when I say that, I'm like, which allergy are you allergic to? She said, that one that caused me to be purple and red from toes to head. And you send me to school saying, just tell them you're fine. It's just allergies. Okay. <laughs> 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 The right. elementary school probably thought I was the, the the evil mother doctor because she was she was literally covered with hives. Oh, have you been experimenting on your child at home? Yeah, mad doctor. <laughs> All right, I promised our listeners that we'll end on something. Well, I promised to myself that we'll end <laughs> on something positive here. So far, we're we we we're failing <laughs> spectacularly. All right, so. 
one example that comes to your mind of things that are positive um, in the kids. So I'll go first so you can think. So um, I'll never forget this. This is about, so now they're 14 and 12. So this is at least five years ago, maybe even six. We're in a Trader Joe shopping and I'm noticing this scene. There's two boys standing in line, like there, there's this uh, um, uh, bars, power bars. They're standing like in front of it. And, you know, one of them can't reach even like a second shelf or third, whatever. So like he's trying to reach up there and, and showing Peter, several showing Peter, show me this one. So they pull that thing off the shelf and they're standing and looking at the label. And then... Uh, this the guy's going by the salesperson, and these two boys are looking and saying, Sarah's like, uh, Peter, this doesn't have enough protein, and there's too much sugar in this. Peter is like, mm, yeah, it's one-to-one ratio. It's probably not so bad, but let's look at this one. And so this guy that's walking, he's like, he stops, and he literally puts down the basket that he was carrying. He's like, wow, new kids. I, I wish I'd videoed that to show them later. But but that was like, for me, it was a moment of epiphany. I'm like, well, I taught them something. Um, anyway, so that's my example. No, that's, that's, that's great. I have one. So a few years ago, we went to take someone to the airport. And when we arrived to park, I saw a car with a woman who is who had a kid who was sitting on a potty in the middle of a parking lot. So we parked the car, went to take our family to the airport. And an hour later, when we were ready to, um, to leave the airport, same scene was at the parking lot. Just still, there was a woman and a kid on a potty. So I thought, whatever, it's their business. And I went into my car. But then my seven-year-old daughter she rolled down the winter and she said, ma'am, are you okay? Because my mom is a family doctor and she can help you. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so. That's great. Well, we're running out of time. Um, we can c- keep going like this for hours. Well, it's actually what we do when we get together anyway. Um, <laughs> we're not doing anything. We're not doing when we're together anyway but we got to wrap up so mariana give our listeners one pearl before we let you go my biggest pearl is listen to your gut and if you have a situation with yourself or with your family member and you feel like they need attention drop everything and just focus on that because there is nothing more precious than a friends and a family. I'm not yeah. going to have treasures that we have this expression in Russian that summarizes this perfectly. Don't have 100 rubles, have 100 friends. <laughs> I like that. Yep. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us, Mariana. Thank you very much for having me. This is the GW Integrative Medicine Podcast from the GW Office of Integrative Medicine and Health. I'm Dr. Misha Kogan. And I'm Janet Rodriguez. Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening.